welcome to Rewilding Work. I'm Paul Miller. Rewilding Work captures stories and examples of how change makers and senior leaders are transforming the world of work across their organizations. We talk, I talk, to leading change makers in organizations like Cisco, the IMF, Fidelity, and Disney. So today I'm so happy to talk to a co-CEO that I have admired greatly pre-pandemic, during the pandemic and post-pandemic too. Rosie Brown has a family story that brought her to be co-CEO of the incredible and delicious UK home ready meals company Cook. Not those meals where you get all the ingredients and cook up a feast, but one where you pop a wonderful and diverse range of dishes into the oven or microwave and eat your heart out. Community values, quality and innovation. And that's Cook. And that's Rosie. And after the chat, I'm joined by two fascinating and inspiring expert commentators to reflect on what Rosie Brown shared. So do subscribe to the DWG channel so you get alerted to each new episode. And now let's hear from Rosie. Great, Rosie, fantastic to have you here. So Cook, for those that don't know, um, that's only people outside the UK, is a UK leader in in what I regard as fantastic quality, ready to cook meals. And community is at the heart of the Cook philosophy. Was cultivating community always part of the Cook intention? I think so. Uh, Cook ultimately stemmed out from a family business, and we are a family business now. And uh, we had very strong family values growing up, um, which included which included community. So my parents had a very strong faith, and it was a real lived faith that they brought into the house. So we'd always, on Sunday lunch, have sort of lonely people or, you know, around the meal table, which as grumpy teenagers we didn't always appreciate um, but it taught us the value of kind of inclusivity and getting together, I think. And so right from our kind of upbringing and the origin of Cook, those those values of uh, the human experience, eating together, the power of food to kind of nourish body but soul too have, have always been absolutely core, cool, I think. Mm. And when you started Cook, how did you bring that philosophy, that community inclusive kind of ambition, intention into the business? Well, I came from um, an investment banking background mm. where... Because your brother had, had founded the company, is that right? That's right. So my brother had founded the company and I joined three years later in 2000. And... I had come from an investment banking background where community is not part of the business model. (laughs) Um, But it was a really informative few years because it taught me a lot about company culture and how it can leave people feeling and and the experience one has in different cultures. Um, And the investment banking culture was not one in which I thrived particularly. I I lacked purpose. I didn't didn't buy into the bigger picture. Um, and 
And so, yeah, I think that informed a lot of my thinking about when we when I then came to Cook in 2000 in an HR role, how do we want Cook to be? How do we want it to feel? How can we keep these family values alive? And, you know, the Cook was founded by Dale and Ed, so my brother and a chef, Dale. And they they couldn't have been more different, and yet they had an extraordinary friendship. You know, Ed was a sort of public school boy. Dale was brought up in care, East End, in the East End, uh, on the face of it, nothing in common, not even the same age. But they had this extraordinary bond of friendship um, that was already in the company when I when I arrived. And it was just about how, as we grow the company, we've now got about 1,600 team members, how can we scale relationships? And I think, you know, as we were growing the business, there was lots of advice on how to scale profits, how to scale business, how to scale product. But there was very, very little advice on how on earth do you begin to scale that startup culture and keep relationships strong and healthy. And and I know you're opening a new shop tomorrow in Nottingham. Yeah, Northampton. No, sorry, not no, sorry, Northampton. And I'm interested in when you open up a new shop and what was the previous shop you opened before that? Oh, York, probably. York. So how do you create community when you open up a new location because obviously people can buy the meals online but i know that the the in-person retail outlets are very important in in the cook philosophy yeah absolutely i think hospitality and giving every customer you know a warm welcome um something to eat you know taste as they come in is really important to the experience of cook but i think we've got there's sort of an internal and an external part of that question and the internal bit is we create community by recruiting the right people recruiting very values aligned people uh, training them very well you know trying to create that sense of belonging through the training through events through relationship with their new manager um, through relationship with other shops that might be local so they begin to feel part of something that's that's good and where they're very welcome so I think we do a lot to try and create that community internally. What would be an example of what you're talking about, just so I can kind of get a feel of that? So when we open a new shop, we will have um, several days where we train new members of the team together, um, which is a kind of established training programme, which talks a lot about the brand, why we're here, what we care about, and then as well as the more practical kind of health and safety and how to do the job. So there's a, there's a significant training program um, but a manager typically would also be in another store for four to six weeks previously so and have built up connections with other store mm. leaders um, and then the area leader will be very hands-on rolling sleeves up when you open a new store so you create and you'll get lots of lots of experienced people visiting that store mm. um, so you create a sense of community internally as you open that shop that, that store by welcoming people in together um, which is very powerful. And then so, there's the answer. Oh, so no, I was just going to sorry to cut in. So so with the with the new shop in Northampton, when will you visit that? Um, very soon in the next month. Wow, amazing. Okay. Uh, yeah, no, we love going and seeing new stores. It's like and do you get do you get very excited when you're going to visit a new store. Yes, of course. Yeah, it's really exciting opening new shops. Right. And you sort of, do you think about what you're going to wear and all that sort of stuff? Or, or... I probably don't think about that as much as I probably should. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But so for a, for a hard-nosed chief financial officer, I mean, investing in community takes investment. It doesn't just happen. 
what do you see the, if you like, return for Cook financially from the investment in community? Or, or do you not think of it like that? So the honest truth is um, we don't think about that. I think you can tie yourself in knots trying mm. to, um, you know, measure everything. And some things in business can't be measured. And some sometimes the most worthwhile things in business can't be measured. Yeah. Um, so we don't work on measurement too much. I think it's more a value system that we live, um, that people matter. And, you know, uh, also sort of common sense philosophy that if you care for people, they're going to care for your business. And ultimately, we know that, you know, as human beings, we thrive when we're in a rich relationship with others. And mm. um, we there's so much research. You know, I think the Harvard Grant study is very interesting, which is the longest running study of human happiness. Mm. And their conclusion uh, after decades of research is is happiness depends on the quality of our relationships. Mm. And so I'm really interested in, well, why wouldn't that be true at work? You know, yeah. why wouldn't we want to create community at work? Because that's that's how people will thrive. And when people are thriving, they do a great job. Mm. <laughs> and the business thrives. So you can't have a thriving business without thriving people, in my view. So yeah. that's more of a value system. Yeah, and I, and I know that you've put quite a lot of attention into the structure and the, the pay remuneration in the company. Uh, what, how do you approach that? So we... We about ten years ago, we were a traditional retail business. We paid everyone a bonus, um, and increasingly, as the company grew, we found we were having more and more conversations about money rather than about building a business and doing something mm. great on the high street and giving people a great experience. It became all about the money. And um, I read Dan Pink uh, Dan Pink's book Drive, and I got rather carried away. And so we decided to invest in pay at that point, and so we raised everyone's basic pay uh, we became a living wage employer uh, which was way ahead of what the market was doing at the time mm. and we scrapped all bonuses mm. and we said actually we're going to motivate people by paying people a good wage taking money off the table and then say let's get on with building a great company um, and uh, we introduced a profit share at the same time so everyone got a share of profits um, and that was a real game changer for us because we went from stop worrying about everyone's money and, you know, other people's local delivery area taking my sales. And then we'd open a new concession and someone would be worrying about that. And, you know, all rightly and fairly, um, I would have been too if I was a shop leader. Um, but actually, we said, actually, this is about growing a great business, providing great service to our customers, um, you know, doing something purposeful and good in the world. And it's not... Um, yeah, bonus systems are very individualistic. And actually, mm. we're a team here at Cook. So let's do a one Cook profit share. Let's pay everyone a better basic. And then let's get on with building a great company. Yeah. Yeah. And I know you also have gone from human resources to human being. So you've sort of fallen out of love with human resources. And I know what you mean. It feels like a very industrial you know, we've got these resources, they're human. We've got other resources that aren't human and, and, and we'll, 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 we'll sweat our assets. But so what's, what's the thinking behind that? So, yeah, we decided to kill HR a few, <laughs> oh, a few years ago. How, how did HR feel about that? <laughs> a few people survived. HR were involved. Um, right. So we actually called them the people team at Cook. And I think mm. it's just a, a really symbolic way of saying 
people are not resources. You know, they are not resources to be used by a company in the pursuit of profit. Um, and so I think it got us thinking about what is the role of HR, the HR function. Is it there to serve the company? Is it there to serve the individuals? You know, and I think that's an ongoing tension, but certainly at Cook, we I encourage uh, our people director very strongly to be very focused on the people working for us um, and not serving the managers all the time. And obviously there's a tension there, but, but what is the shop floor saying? What is the kitchen floor saying? We employ a lot of people in retail and manufacturing, so sort of entry-level jobs. And what's going on there? You know, I'm less interested in some ways in what sort of managers higher up the organisation are saying. I'm like, what's going on at the front line? And is the people team really serving that group of people? Mm. And you've taken on people who've come from quite difficult backgrounds sometimes and so on. And and I know that's an important part of your um, outlook and approach. I'm sort of thinking I'm getting back to that, 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 that scene with your parents when you were growing up and, 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 and finding people who needed help. Absolutely. I, so we have a raw talent scheme and our raw talent scheme employs people with barriers uh, to work. So people are homeless, addiction, um, prison, all sorts of mental health issues um, and helps get them back into the workforce. And that is absolutely uh, a direct um, you know, thing that's come from my parents and how they behaved in terms of including everybody and this idea that there's room, there's room for everybody at our table and being intentionally inclusive. Um, and reaching out to people in our communities who are struggling. And so, yeah, our raw talent scheme is an amazing thing. It transforms lives and it's incredibly rewarding and actually a real privilege to be part of it. Um, but, but our culture has been enormously enriched by it because actually it's made everyone, you know, including me, a little less judgmental, a little, mm. little bit more, a little bit kinder. Um, mm. You know, and you feel you're part of, part of doing something worthwhile. So, yeah, it's been it's been enriching for our culture for sure. And I know that one of the things that that Cook does, which reminds me of something that DWG does, we we have something which we call the Big Brother House, where we a couple of times a year all the management team all live together, cook together, um, just kind of be together. And I know you do something similar. Which and what is it you do, and and why do you think that's important for you? Yeah. So a few years ago, we. Um, took the senior leadership team away and we instead of hiring a hotel we hired a house right where did you go oh where was it Cornwall I think all right Um, and when you go away together and you're living together and you're loading dishwashers together and you're cooking together it it becomes very authentic you know there's no room for the corporate mask or for um, any of the other kind of politics that, that can creep in and you form bonds that when you're living together that you simply don't um, if you everyone can go back to their hotel room every five minutes and mm. um, you have that hangout time and that preparing meals time the clearing up meals and uh, you know like all of the best kind of business ideas are formed around the kitchen table <laughs> <laughs> everything happens in the kitchen doesn't it Every party happens in the kitchen. Every business <laughs> yeah. meeting happens. I mean, you know, yeah. kitchens are where it's at. So, yeah. Um, but actually, that 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 those strategy sessions, we sort of do two of them a year, and they're they're so powerful because they keep the top of the organisation absolutely united, absolutely working together, 
And, you know, I'm a great believer in if the top of the organization is, is role modeling what relationships can look like at work um, and really operating in a really functional way, then the rest of the organization tends to follow suit. Mm. Um, so for us, that, that's been really powerful. And yeah, we're off to, we're off to Wales in June. <laughs> oh, fantastic. That's, that's great. So I, I know, and I, and I know that um, COVID was obviously, um, it caught everybody, um, out, you know, off balance. How, what was it like for Cook? And what have you learned and gained and lost through the experience? So, so COVID was traumatic for us, like it was for everybody. Um, commercially, it was good. So suddenly everyone wanted loads of frozen food in their freezer. Yep. <laughs> so um, commercially, it did us a huge favour, really. And we had, um, you know, we had a plan that we were going to roll out local delivery vans to our whole whole shop estate um, over the course of three, the next three years was our plan. And we did it in the end in three months because we were like, go, go, go. And we were stealing and begging and borrowing uh, secondhand ropey old vans from anywhere. So commercially, it was good. Um, I think the challenge was all around people. So keeping people safe. So we were operating manufacturing environments um, where costs went through the roof. You had to, we had to split shifts, keeping everyone safe. Then we had our shops that stayed open throughout and we moved to counter service overnight. So it was an extraordinary experience of, of leading through through something like that while staying open and keeping the keeping everyone safe and informed i think so i think my big learning was about communication and the importance of communicating with ed and i who are on the company with um, we communicated every single day to the company during that period Mm. because we were making decisions so quickly and every day we'd send out this is what's happening today Um, and i think that was really powerful in keeping us connected and united Um, and so yeah it was Commercially, it was good. I learned a lot about communication and leading through a crisis. Um, I'm glad it's over. And I think we're still now, you know, in the in the process of getting some of our discipline back that we had pre-COVID mm-hmm. that went during COVID. Because COVID just became about keep the train on the tracks yeah, yeah, and keep everyone yeah. safe. Um, yeah. And now we're kind of finally getting back to a place of instead of surviving, because um, obviously then we came out that into inflation and and it being quite brutal for the last three years we we can be in a place of creating and thriving again yeah so finally tell me about churchill's pig and what's the tale behind that so churchill's pig is uh church winston churchill once said a dog looks up to a man a cat looks down on a man but a pig looks a man in the eye and sees his equal um, and that's essentially how we like to operate with everyone at work is mm. we all have different roles and responsibilities, um, but that doesn't make anyone any more important than anyone else. So that plays out in a few different ways. So Ed and I hot desk in the office. So we don't have big power offices in the corner. We're just we work with everybody else. Um, we have a Churchill's Pig Week every week, every year where um, we invite feedback. So where we're not getting it right. Um it's a wonderful, it's a wonderful value that gives people permission to speak up. So you know when people say, "Oh, I've got a bit of Churchill's pig," mm-hmm. <laughs> you, you know to brace yourself. Um, mm-hmm. But it's, but it gives people that permission to say what isn't going quite so mm-hmm. well. And so we do that once a week, uh, once a year, sorry, for a week. 
and get enormous feedback from right across the company, which is incredibly helpful. We also try and do that on a weekly basis in each individual site as well. Um, so people can put messages in the pig, um, questions, feedback, you know, things they want answers for. But again, it's that communication piece. Um, but Churchill's pig is also about, you know, not getting too hierarchical um, mm-hmm. and how leaders behave in Cook. So I, I actually believe that humans tend to organize themselves into a bit of hierarchy anyway. So a little bit of hierarchy mm-hmm. isn't a bad thing because it actually just speaks to what's there already and it's open mm-hmm. and honest. Um, but I think then it's about how the leaders in that hierarchy behave. So are they serving other people or are they being served? Um, so yeah, Churchill's Pig is all about seeing each other as as equal and as valuable as each other, regardless of the roles we're doing. That's great. Well, Rosie, thank you so much. It's been lovely, as always, to talk to you. And thanks for coming on. Lovely to chat to you. Thank you for having me. And now I am delighted to be joined by two expert pundits for today. Abigail Wilmore is the Chief People Officer for innovative German beauty and skincare brand, Dr. Barbara Sturm. And prior to that, Abigail was Chief People Officer for the fashion brand, Stella McCartney. So the bottom line is that Abigail always works in cool and hit places. Um, uh, Celine Schillinger is the author of new leadership bestseller, Dare to Unlead, which was Porch Light's 2022 Leadership and Strategy Book of the Year. And I love mentioning this, but in Celine's long list of accomplishments, she was awarded in 2017 the status as a Knight of the French Order of Merit. And we Brits love achievements like that. So welcome, Abigail and Celine. So, Abigail, having listened to Rosie Brown, what's your main reaction to what she talked about? Well, first of all, I kind of really want to work there um, because she made me feel. Um, I just loved the amount of time spent focused on what is the right set of ingredients that they need there. Um, you know, obviously they talked a lot about onboarding and a sense of belonging and that there's such a, you know, so such beautiful family values at the very heart. But it was really, yeah, the amount of focus that they have on really caring for people and, and how they're going to help their people to thrive. Hmm. That's great. And how about for you, Celine? What was your main reaction to what Rosie talked about? So, you know, I entered this uh, interview, this this video with um, curiosity, uh, but I was on my guard because I'm a bit wary of uh, conventional CEO speak. You know, they <laughs> you can hear a lot of the same words in, in every CEO speech. And my alarm bells went uh, on uh, at the in the very few first uh, seconds when uh, you and her talked about community, community being at the heart of, uh, of their philosophy and being and the company being a family business because community can be uh, is a buzzword that ha- that is being uh, used very much and um, and family family can be quite uh, exclusive uh, and uh, it can feel not so welcoming for 
people who do not belong to the family. So I was like a bit, mm. ooh. Uh, but then, uh, oh my God, that was amazing. I mean, the holy, I mean, she, you, you really, uh, I was won over completely by, by what she said. She was absolutely amazing. I loved that it was not just words, but actions, um, very concrete actions related to um, the, the, for example, payment uh, structure, bonus, uh, um, there was a lot of consistency, a lot of coherence I found, and um, the the intention around inclusion was again not just buzzwords but but actions. And to be sure, I went to their website and I searched a little bit, and uh, it was all very very coherent. So I really loved it. I thought it was amazing. That's great, and it's it's really interesting. So you think that the whole community thing is a bit sort of community washing? that the people talk a lot about community, but while Cook might be an example of doing that, that a lot of organizations sort of pay lip service to it? I think they do, yes. Uh, it's one of those you know, words that have been overutilized uh, probably, and that can be interpreted in many different ways. Uh, one way which is pretty... Um, uh, I would say exclusive, which uh, there's, you know, insiders and, and outsiders uh, in communities. And uh, that's really not what I'm looking for. I feel uh, that work is one of the rare places where we can still bring together people who are very different, who do belong to different communities, or who do not feel they belong to communities at all. And, um, and I find that the, so there are maybe other words uh, that are for the moment, a bit less uh, utilized, uh, communality, collegiality, togetherness, that kind of thing. But I think that's a, that's what she meant, uh, really. Yeah. That's what she means, I would say, and that's what they, they all mean. So it's really remarkable. Yeah, and, and Abigail, why do you think that community, you know, if, if we take this as, uh, as part of what Selene is saying, why do you think it is that community is not, given its real status in many organizations, because all organizations work in communities, localities, um, groups of people, neighborhoods, and so on. Why do you feel like we, we, we don't really put that front and center, Abigail? Well, definitely in profit-making businesses, it is about the lens on profit. And, you know, she was talking about the fact that there isn't a lot of tracking and measurement, which I also really mm. like. Um, but most organizations are about tracking and measurement. And of course, we do need to we do need to track things in order to be able to improve. Um, and I do also feel that one of the ways to assess kind of the, the health of an organization is kind of the interconnectedness of social interactions that happen outside of anything formal. Um, and you do need to kind of track that or understand that to to assess that kind of measurement but yeah most businesses are not focused on that they're focused on getting people around a strategic plan that is mainly focused on on profit making and mm. you know or numbers or growth um you know and it's much more about doing rather than being whereas a sense of community i always feel you know re regardless of if it's if it's many communities coming together but yeah, it's 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 a sense of of being together and and connecting mm. together. So yeah, that's yeah, and, and I I kind of um, got very excited about Cook just before the pandemic and then during the pandemic, and I mean I knew them as a as a fantastic 
company that made ready meals. However, um, when I met Rosie and I heard what her real approach was it was and the way that they bring people who've been in in prison difficult situations that they really place so much emphasis on the the local community i mean she was so excited about going up going to uh I think it was northampton to open up the the new branch and i you could really sense that that really mattered to her um uh, Abigail, one of the things that they uh, that, that Rosie talked about was that they killed off HR and replaced it with human being versus human resources, and 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 that's it is it's so amusing and innovative, isn't it? Um, I mean, what's your what's your take on where HR's at at the moment post pandemic? To what extent are humans still resources and not beings? Um, I'm really happy to feel a big part of this movement and shift mm. towards human being um, and kind of doing away with kind of the words that I feel like big consultancy firms often use like workforce, staff, human capital, you know, those kinds of words, which they just don't feel right anymore. Um, mm. And the pandemic, I mean, the pandemic really shone a light on the what HR can really do. Um, and I feel definitely at the forefront of pioneering this move away from, you know, the old kind of style of HR, which was really just called personnel, to mm. moving right to today and beyond in terms of, yeah, using the word people team, um, using titles within people teams that are much more about community and inclusion and, you know, really kind of focused on the experience that people are having at an organization or a brand um that i think just feel much more more real and um more yeah easy for people to understand what hr oh. actually does yeah and celine how about you where are we on this journey from human resources to human being um is this another thing that organizations are paying lip service to you know, Paul, what I found extremely interesting here is that it was not just a matter of changing the label, changing the name, but also doing things differently. For example, encouraging the people team members to pay attention to individuals, not just to managers, not always serve the managers. This is quite radical. This is quite a radical shift. So, you know, the tension will, will always be there in, in human resources or whatever you call that uh, department, uh, but it can be better handled. Uh, one thing I would... Um, um, modestly encourage HR uh, to do even more of is to pay attention not just to individuals but to groups, to networks, to communities, communities of practice, etc. Because I find that a lot of those groups are somehow somewhere in the blind spot uh, of, of HR. I also oh. love what, uh, what Rosie said about paying attention to what happens really on the front line. That means she is not just depending on uh, intermediaries to or data or reports or, you know, to form her judgment, her opinion about what's happening. She is going there uh, very often. What's going on there? It's really, really important. I love that. Hmm. 
Yeah, and and Abigail, I mean, Rosie's values and Cook's values are, are explicit and open. Her parents, inclusion, giving people a chance, raw talent. What can we learn, do you feel? I mean, it's a family story. She talks about um, early days with her parents and so on. But what can we learn about that kind of courage to bring those things? What can, what can larger organisations learn, I guess? I think it's really imperative that all organisations actually create opportunities for their people to give back uh, on top of, you know, other kinds of benefits and things, but actually look at it as, you know, giving back helps people to feel good about themselves. Everybody kind of wants to give back, but then never finds the time to do it. So more and more organisations should be investing in ways in which to help their employees give back because, it helps our mental health. It helps our own well-being. It's good for our communities and it's just good all round. So I think it is imperative that more and more businesses offer that. And, you know, I know many companies now that are allowing people to work kind of one week, two weeks uh, by volunteering their time for different organizations. But the more organized a company can be about that, the easier it is for people to actually give back. Mm. Yeah, ab- ab- absolutely. And, and and at my prompting, Celine, um, I, I talked to Rosie about living together as a management team, uh, which Cook does and, and DWG, where I am, does. It, do you think there's a way to um, adopt that in, in larger organisations that somehow feels acceptable? I mean, we get tremendous value when we spend a week actually um, – sharing all the you know the kitchen the coffees the the chats and so on i think it can it cannot be imposed um it mm. might feel weird if you you know right away do that with people who have you have not cultivated some you know, mm. personal relationships with in the first, the quality of relationships is is really uh, really key and before you bring everybody uh, to a week together and again i mean that's it's wonderful it's amazing we can do that um i am wary of those leadership retreats uh, which can be quite luxurious and trigger a sense of exclusion among other people as well so i'm there are ways uh, in which you can develop the quality of relationship among the leadership team and it's really really important to do so for example by talking about the quality of these relationships uh, instead of just talking about the business the numbers the uh, you know things we need to do uh, i think it's really key to keep a to keep time uh, and really make it a focus what is the quality of our relationships and i'd like to maybe add two things which i um, will remember i will keep with me for a long time from this uh, interview the first thing you mentioned courage and i think this is uh, what should inspire probably a lot of people who will listen to this interview the courage to attack some of those sacred cows uh, in the world of, uh, in the corporate world. For example, performance management. You have a lot, a lot of companies saying, oh yes, we want to be more human, we want, but they, they keep sticking people into the nine box and do not change anything to uh, their performance measurement system. Here, what she, what they did, they increased pay, they scrapped all bonuses, they introduced, they introduced 
profit sharing. This is quite radical and I, I believe absolutely needed. The current perform mainstream management systems, performance management systems are completely outdated. They, they trigger all the wrong, you know, have behaviors and consequences they are they're really bad and yet very few companies are actually addressing uh, this issue and the, the the second thing that will also uh, stay with me is that they're not just doing that for for being nice or to you know support oh. their values they understand that the value of the really of relationships are uh, i mean is in the relationship themselves they are not building a community in a utilitarian way they are building a community because they believe in the value of the community itself, not as a means to yeah. achieve something else, but itself. And I think this is um, really what a lot of, I mean, everybody should understand that. We're living in a world where the, the work is the relationship. The relationship is not what just what enables uh, good work to happen. The relationship is the work today. I love that. I love that. I, it's, it's not the objects and the things, it's the relationship between things and people and i think what i take from what what you've both said is that it's it's less about the kind of format or the 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 steps it's actually about the quality of what's happening the quality of relationship um and abigail any any final um thoughts things i haven't asked that you'd like to share um i i just what stays with me from listening is is the fact that they're really willing to experiment, which does take courage. And, you know, I'm sure they've had to pivot on other things, which you didn't get to mention, but I think experimenting together with a continual feedback loop of being being able to listen to your employees about how they feel about things means that you are crafting the future with them. Um, And that is just absolutely critical. And even though a lot of businesses talk about doing that, I don't think many are doing it very effectively. Sure. Um, So that's, that's definitely stayed with me. Yeah. And any final, final thoughts, Celine? Well, thank you so much for letting me and many other people, I guess, know about Cook and Rosie Brown and uh, this community. It's amazing. All right. That's such a lovely thing to say. She'll be very, very touched by that. I know that. Thank you so much, Abigail. And thank you so much, Celine. It's been wonderful having you on and reflecting on my conversation with Rosie Brown, co-CEO of Cook. Thank you, Paul. Thank you. I love Rosie Brown and what a fantastic conversation with our pundits, Abigail and Celine. Rosie even got past the test set by Celine. I'd never thought of community washing before, but now I'm on alert for that. So three seeds to plant for today. Number one, what matters is relationship in work not the format or lavish leadership retreats where the numbers get crunched, but we need true relationship connection. So we need to focus on the quality of relationships rather than superficial appearances. Seed number two. This is the courage era in work and in life where we need to muster courage, bravery, Staying and playing safe is not sufficient and we need to trust our intuition and beliefs and have the courage to act, just as Cook does when employing people who've been in prison. What an example to follow. Third seed to plant, 
Performance management, God, don't we hate that, needs a radical makeover as we move from human resources to human being. It is the being that matters, not the resources. Please subscribe and like right here so you get alerted to each new episode. See you next time. Thank you.